we're going to jump right in because we have so much to talk about today. Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we continue in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, we started in January, and we will keep on going. (laughs) Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27. Father in heaven, it's already been prayed multiple times but we are so grateful for who you are and, and, and what you do in our life, and we're so grateful for your word. And Lord, we need you to speak loud and clear today. Lord, I need you to speak through me. I need your spirit to anoint my mind and my lips, that these words that I speak, they are not mine, but yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are continuing in Matthew chapter 5. In these words that we find in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 27 and 28, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now Jesus moves From the sixth commandment, remember last time I was here, which was like a long time ago, I get it. But we talked about that sixth commandment that Jesus brings up when he said, you've heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. But he talks about that if you had anger in your heart towards someone and you didn't resolve that and you didn't get rid of that, then it's just as bad. And so here he moves from the sixth and he goes right on to the seventh. You shall not commit adultery. Now let's stop here for a second. This is another commandment, a little similar to anger, that most of the Jews, most of the people that were listening to Jesus in that moment could probably check off their list. And I would say that most of the people, hopefully today, could check this one off their list as well. This idea of, okay, I haven't physically cheated against my spouse. But think about it in the context that they were in. I can imagine that if I was listening to Jesus and I was standing there at this Sermon on the Mount, I would be like, finally, someone's going to bring up the Romans. Someone's finally going to put the Romans in their place. I remember studying history of ancient Rome. Do you remember that? And while they were a very powerful kingdom, they were a very morally corrupt one. The things that they did, the, the bathhouses that they had, the, the, what culture was like. And it's not really much different today in the sense that culture tells people that some things are acceptable and normal. But those who follow God and his word know that not all things that are acceptable by culture standards are acceptable by God's. Right? So you can imagine that most of God's people listening were thinking, yeah, Jesus, let them have it. (laughs) Finally, someone is going to condemn 
all the things that these Romans do. Not just Romans doing to Romans, but Romans doing to Jews. Romans doing to Gentiles. I mean, these were officers of the law that could do whatever they wanted to whomever they wanted. So the way that they operated was, I see, I want, I take. But then Jesus throws them a curveball, doesn't he? He says, but I say to you, everyone, everyone, not the Romans, not just the Gentiles, everyone. Everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I think it's appropriate to flip it as well. That everyone who looks at a man with lust for him in their heart, in her heart, it works both ways. Talk about a gut punch. Don't you just love the Sermon on the Mount? <laughs> the Sermon on the Mount really does force us to talk about things that we wouldn't normally want to talk about. I mean, okay, anger, we can all admit that we've all been angry at some point in our life. We say, okay, I mean, yeah. but this one, come on, we don't want to talk about this one. This is the one that hides out deep within the heart and that sometimes we hear about different scandals and this and that. No one wants to talk about this one. So, guess what? We get to talk about it. Doesn't that excite you? I almost did this by video last week. How awkward would that have been? What is lust? And another important question is what, what isn't lust? I think it's important to understand that there's, there is a difference between the, the two. Lust goes beyond a look. But that doesn't mean that looks aren't important. Jesus is going to emphasize urgency in that one here in a minute. But that, that here's the thing. Lust is a lingering thought that moves to a strong desire for that person to be your own. Now, this is not attraction. This is not a passing glance, okay? It's because you say that someone or you think someone is handsome or someone is pretty does not mean that you've just committed lust. But if those thoughts don't come under control, they can lead you to a place where it could. Do you see that? I mean, that, I think that's pretty obvious. The same kind of language is translated back into the Old Testament that you'll actually find in the 10th commandment, which is, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. So it's, it's a little bit different, but it, the, the same meaning is there. The desire for them to become your own. So in other words, the person who orders their affections and their will in harmony with the 10th commandment would be protected from violating the 7th commandment. But that's not what Jesus' point is. That's not what he's getting at in this. Clearly, Jesus wants us to do something. Because listen to this urgency as he moves on. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. 
For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So pluck out your right eye, cut off your right hand because it's better for you to be lame and maimed than it is for you to be going into hell. Now before we start thinking that this is a literal thing, I just want to remind you that the blind and those who don't have limbs can still lust. So that's not what, we're, we're not saying that we're physically, phys, we're, we're not going to literally take this. What Jesus is describing is urgency. That if something is leading you in that direction, something needs to be done. Jesus commands us to take drastic measures to avoid temptations to sexual sin. That means we are to remove from ourselves anyone or anything that could cause us to sin. Cause us to stumble. Well, maybe your version says offend. This, the, the, it's still, what it means is to stumble. If your right eye causes you to stumble, if your right hand causes you to stumble, then it would be better for you to get rid of those things. So while Jesus is saying and commands us to take drastic measures, guess what? That's still not what Jesus is talking to us about in this scripture. It's part of it, and it's important. The point that Jesus is trying to make is that all of it, every single bit of it, starts in the heart. It is an outward expression of an inward desire. In other words, it's the inward desire that needs change. Can I be real with you today? I was very young when I first saw something that I was not supposed to see. Whether that is through a magazine that I found that was my brother's. Sorry, bro. Don't mean to throw you under the bus. <laughs> or whether it was an innocent click that took me to the wrong place. And I will tell you, it is one of the strongest pulls that the enemy has ever used in my entire life. And here's the thing. The reason that, I want, that I'm sharing that with you is there is no amount of accountability partners and there's no amount of software that you can put on your devices that can make you stop accessing the things that have drawn you in. Because when the inward desire is there, it will come out outwardly at some point, some way. So it's the inward desire that needs to change. See, we want to say, well, what, what can we do about this, right? Do I put blinders on? <laughs> you know, tunnel vision? Maybe I, should blame, maybe I should blame other people for it, right? Well, if they just wouldn't wear that. Come on. 
You can, you can put the blame on anything and everything. You can blame society's standards. You can blame the, blame the entire porn industry. You can blame whatever you want, but you know what? It all starts in your own heart. Whew, it's quiet in here. You know, I talked about this when we were talking about anger. I don't need to tell you that being angry with someone long-term, by being unforgiving, by holding grudges, hating someone, I don't need to tell you that that's wrong. You know that it's wrong. And in the same way, I don't need to tell you that adultery is wrong, that coveting someone else is wrong, that lusting after someone or watching something you're not supposed to or looking at something or reading something, I don't need to tell you that all that stuff is wrong. And in fact, I don't want to get into too, too many specifics because I don't want to trigger something from your past and, and bring it all back up. That's not the point of today's thing. I don't need to tell you that those things are wrong. And if I have to tell you that those things are wrong, then something else is wrong. The question that I think that we have is, Pastor, what do we do about this? If it's an epidemic, if it's something that's, that's taking over our young people and try to think that it's only the young people that it has a grip on, it is well into the senior citizens world, all ages in between, that the enemy has tried to get his grasp upon, no matter what it is, whether it's through print or whether it's through a screen or whether it's just in the mind and how you think that someone else is going to make you happy. What do we do with it? There's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way than, than putting a patch on things, right? I just got to block it out of my head. I just, I just, I just got to stop. I, I just can't see that person anymore. Maybe I need to change jobs. Look, if it's the inward desire, it doesn't matter where you go who you're with, at some point, the inward desire is going to come out. It's going to come out because that's what's inside. And here's the thing. Whether it's anger, anger is going to come out if it's inside. Lust is going to come out if it's what's inside. You're short-tempered, not just anger, but you're, you're unforgiving, Maybe, maybe you're unforgiving towards self and that's what's inside Then you're going to be unforgiving towards someone else. Whatever's inside here is at some point going to come out. So let me ask you something. Do you want to change what's inside? Maybe some of us, we don't. We're perfectly content with exactly where I am but I want to tell you there's something so much greater and so much better. Can we talk about that today? What good is it, would it be if I just scolded you and told you to go home and throw your computer in the dumpster? <laughs> like, that's not going to do any good. But what if we could look at the word of God and you walk out of here with freedom in your life? Four of you are nodding your heads yes, so I'm going to take it as a go and we're going to do it. Okay. Let me ask you this question. Before I accepted Jesus and what he did for me, what was I a slave to? Sin. Before Jesus, I was a slave 
to sin. And according to the book of Romans, Paul tells me that when I was a slave to sin, I was free from something. Do you know what it is? I was free from righteousness. Check this out. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Here's the thing, is before Jesus, I could do whatever I wanted, and I, was, I didn't have to do what was right, and I was perfectly fine, to, in my own thoughts, right? Because the Bible does tell us in this same, same chapter that the wages of sin, the way that I keep living is not life, but it is death, right? And so while I think all is good, while I think that I'm just doing what I, the culture tells me to do, society tells me to do, when I think about those things and, and how I live, I'm free from righteousness. I don't, I don't have a care in the world. I can go out and live any old way that I want. So in this, I was unrighteous before Jesus. And what does the Bible say about the unrighteous? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. I've got it on the screen in case you didn't bring your Bible today. Okay? It's that important. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And you might be thinking, I'm not that bad. But when we're filled with anger, when we're filled with these, these things that are not of God, guess what? We're in this category of unrighteousness. And I would imagine that when we read something like this, we're like, uh-oh. Oh, no. I'm in trouble. But wait. <laughs> There's more. There's something that changes. Because look at the very next verse in verse 11. And such were, were some of you. And such, what's the next word? Were. Paul is talking to someone that's different. Something has changed. But what? But you were what? You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You were, meaning this is past tense. Let me just say this. When you've accepted Jesus Christ into your life, you accept him as your redeemer, as your savior, as your friend, as your Lord, and you are baptized in the name of Jesus into the water. You are in this category that's different than what was just talked about. I asked you what I was a slave to before Jesus. 
I was a slave to sin and I was free to righteousness. But you know what happens when you accept Jesus? When I accepted Jesus, I became free from sin and a slave to righteousness. Amen to that. We don't like the word slave, but I've talked about that. It means what, what, what is the power that is in you? What, has, what, what is controlling you? Would you rather, I mean, here's the thing. Would you rather have the righteousness of God in your life leading you and directing you in all the things that you do? Or would you rather have sin leading and guiding you in everything that you do? I mean, that's, what's, that's what we're talking about here. But here, the unrighteous will not inherit the, the kingdom of God. It gives the whole list. But here he says, and such were some of you. You used to be in those categories. You used to be the unrighteous, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of who? In the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Without Jesus, this is not possible. So I don't want you to think that you can just go out and and accomplish this on our own. It is only in Christ Jesus that that these things are possible. But the question is, is how is it possible? You gotta turn with me now to Romans chapter six. Romans chapter six. We go on full-blown gospel today. I hope you're ready for it. Romans chapter six is where we are landing because this is so, so, so important. Paul is making a case throughout the book of Romans. And as he is leading up to to what is is taking place, as he's laying down the foundations, you know, first he kind of explains that, look, you're not not good. (laughs) And he goes on to say that that all, all are sinners. And just because you have the law doesn't mean that you're better than anybody else. I mean, he kind of goes through this whole this whole thing, right? And so he starts talking about grace and that we're saved by grace. And so then he asks this question. And we love, we love to quote this verse a lot when it comes to talking about the law. But let's put it in its proper context, right? What shall we say then? Are we continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we know, how can we? In other words, how can we continue to sin? How can we who died to sin still live in it. So he's asking the question, how can you continue to sin if you're dead to sin? And you're thinking, wait, I'm dead to sin? I didn't know I was dead to sin. Keep reading. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We teach that. That's, that's, when we talk about baptism, it's a symbol that the old self dies and we participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So we die under, you know, under the water. We stop the breath, right? And then we come up out of the water and just as Christ came out of the tomb, we have newness of life, right? That, that's, the whole, that, that's what baptism is about. So we continue. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in what? In newness of life. To live a life that is different 
to live a life that's brand new. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Oftentimes we want to take this and we want to talk about the, the second coming resurrection, and while there's nothing wrong with looking at it that way, we are looking at a different, we're talking about a resurrection here. We're talking about a newness of life here, right now. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to what? Nothing. Nothing. So that we would no longer be what? Enslaved to sin. For one who has died has what? Has been set free from sin. Now if we, see the case that he's making here? This is incredible. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Amen. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God, okay? So he's saying that Christ died. He doesn't have to die again. He defeated death, but he also defeated sin as well. And he says, so you also must consider yourselves what? Dead to what? Come on, say it aloud. Dead to sin and alive in God in who? In Christ Jesus, just as Christ is resurrected, we have a new life and newness of life in him. Amen. Somebody's, come on. This is huge, guys. This is huge, and I'll explain to you why it's so big here in a minute, but we'll, let's just, let's not, let's not stop from what Paul is saying because he just tells us that we are free from sin, we are dead to sin, and now how do we live with that? He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its what? Its passions. Do not present your, present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from, oh, say it, death to life and your members to God as instruments for what? For righteousness. So because we are dead to sin, because we are free from the burden of sin, he then tells us, well then don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Why would you keep it there? Why would you allow it to have any type of foothold in your life. See, here's the thing that I don't understand. Why in the world? Because everyone wants to argue about this and say, well, I, I still sin. Wait, let, me, let, me just, let me just ask this for, for a second. Why would you want to be free in Christ and then go and sin and try to get away with it? Is that really freedom? It's really not. It's really not. He continues, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but you are under what? You're under grace. So grace is the power to transform your life. Grace, I'm gonna say it again, is the power to transform your life. 
but I know what you're thinking. Pastor, if I'm free from sin, then why do I keep on sinning? Well, in order to answer this, (laughs) we need to answer another question. What is sin? What is sin? Well, there is a oh-so-famous verse that we'd love to turn to, and that is in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. So I invite you to turn with me there. Because the, the, the famous translation that will say this, that sin is the transgression of the law. Right? And is it, is it correct? Yes, it's not a trick question. It is correct. But it's not looking at the full picture. And I think it's important that we get a better understanding of what sin is. Because if we limit it to one thing, it goes against what Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. So check it out. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Okay. (laughs) What does that mean? Lawlessness, listen, this is very important. Lawlessness is the absence of a thing where it ought to be. Lawless, to be lawless, is the absence of a thing where it ought to be. Let me explain. Think of it this way. If the speed limit is 55 miles an hour and I go 56, am I breaking the law? Yes, I am. I'm transgressing the law. That's, that's an easy one, okay? But if I'm going 54, and you're going 54, in a 55, and you're one of those who won't speed up because you don't want a speeding ticket, but the entire time you're upset at the fact that you have to go so slow, guess what? You're lawless. See, here's, here's, here's the thing. And, and let's take it into the context of what we're talking about today, of what Jesus is saying. If I'm married and I cheat on my spouse, I've committed adultery. That's transgressing the law. But what Jesus says is that if I don't cheat on my wife because I'm afraid that I will get caught but inside I really want to and I'm upset that I don't have what I really want I'm lawless which is sin do you see you you can't just limit it to transgressing of the law because Jesus says look these people didn't transgress the law but he's going at it and says but what's in the heart so it makes sense that sin would be lawlessness because here's the thing the external posted law of 
55 miles an hour, doesn't find agreement with what's in your heart. Why? Because what ought to be on the inside isn't actually there. So the actual posted law of do not commit adultery if that doesn't, on the inside, if there's something inside of you that wants something outside of that, then they don't match. There's no agreement. And what ought to be in there? It's not, it's not just do not commit adultery, but what ought to be is the spirit of love towards my spouse. You see, there's, there's the, 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 the literal letter of the law that we, oh, we know so well. But there's the spirit of the law that changes everything. And that's what Jesus was getting at. But see, this is what sin is like. Now, track with me, because this is important. Something is supposed to be inside. But for some reason, we don't believe it is. What do you think it is? Righteousness is supposed to be inside. It's supposed to be in humanity. But it isn't actually there on our own. So the law is good. Paul tells us the law is perfect, it's good. The law exposes what righteousness is. It, it does talk about what not to do. <laughs> but it, on the flip side, the law exposes what righteousness really is. But we see ourselves as not having righteousness that it requires. And therefore, we are lawless, which is sin. I realize that we're diving into some some territory here that feels a little bit weird. <laughs> but here's here's what I think is is really important that we that we grasp. Christ did something on the cross for you and for me. But before he did that, he lived a life for you and for me. And that life that he lived was righteous. And because he lived the righteous life, and when he died on the cross for us, taking the sin and breaking down the power of sin, he then made righteousness available to all of us. And everyone who receives Jesus also receives his righteousness. But if we don't believe we have it, then we're going to go looking in the wrong places to try to fill the life that it doesn't need to be there. Now, here's, let's, let's keep going. We are going back to what Jesus was talking about, the inward desires. Otherwise known, the Bible likes to call the inward desires the flesh, right? Here's the thing. Flesh blocks grace. Flesh blocks grace from having power in our lives. 
God wants to pour his grace inside of us. He has so much grace. His grace is so powerful that he wants to have that grace inside of you and totally transform your life. But flesh blocks that. Flesh gets in the way of that. See, let's look at it in in Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Let's look at first verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us, what? Free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. In other words, don't go back to this sinful life when you've been set free to a brand new one. But here we are, we're, we're struggling in this, this battle between spirit and flesh. And so inside of us, we think that there's this, we just, we've got, I've got to overcome this, and I've got to overcome that. So I've got to put these blinders on, and I'm going to just try to focus because I'm such a bad person, and I need to just, I need to just, I, I just need to change so much. Or we approach things radically different. Because here, he says, you receive freedom in who? In Christ. You don't receive freedom by your own doing. You don't receive freedom by accomplishing it on your own. You receive freedom from Jesus. And he says, because you've received freedom from Jesus, don't go back and submit yourselves to the sin slave. Don't go do that, okay? We're moving on, down to verse 13. For you were called to what? Freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the what? For the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall what? Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. How is the law fulfilled? Love. Okay, we're moving on. In verse 16. But I say, walk by the what? Spirit. And if you walk by the Spirit, you will not, what? Gratify the desires of the flesh. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against what? The Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Because the law, remember, the law points out sin in your life, and it points you to Jesus. But if you have Jesus, he's covered that. And so then we just follow it, because that's who we are in Christ. But I, I can't earn God's favor by doing something on my own strength. So the spirit and the flesh are against each other, and because they're against each other, they try, this, they try to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The flesh tries to keep you to do from the things that you want to do. So you've got the spirit, and you have the flesh. Let me ask you a question. Which one are you living by? 
Are you in the spirit? Or are you in the flesh? And I know you're torn. I know what the Bible says. I see what his word says. But my experience says something different. Mercy. Let me ask you a simple question. Are you going to let your experience and how you feel let that overrule what the Bible says? Come on now. Now, if I was in some type of an evangelistic series and I would say, are you going to allow the traditions of man to trump over the Bible? You would be like, no way! Because <laughs> you'd be all about that. But are you going to let your feelings and your past experiences rule over what the Bible says? So I'm going to ask you again, which one do you live under, the spirit or the flesh? If you are in Jesus Christ, if you have accepted him and you've been baptized in his name, then guess what? You are in the spirit. How do I know that? Because Romans tells me that back in Romans chapter 8. Oh man, I thought I had I was done with this. I, can I come back to it? I'll keep going. Yes. We'll come back because we'll need this again. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So here's the thing. We're going to be talking about the Spirit here in a second, but he tells us right off the bat, you, however, are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. Now I got to go back to Galatians chapter 5. Yeah. Okay. Paul wants to describe the difference between the two. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, look, if, you're, if, if you haven't accepted Christ, you're going to be living in the flesh. And you're going to be living in the flesh. This is, what it, this is what living in the flesh looks like. And if you're living in the flesh, I just got to tell you straight up, you're not, gonna get, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven because that's clearly there's a, there's a difference. There's a divide between the flesh and the spirit. But then he goes on to talk about the fruit of the spirit. So he says, look, you do these, you know, you live in the flesh. This is what you're not going to, you're not going to, you're not going to get there. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. In other words, you can't overdo these things. This is good stuff. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, listen, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. When you're in Christ Jesus, those who belong to Christ Jesus, you are in the Spirit. Now we go back to that Romans verse in chapter 8, in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh. Because that's the thing. When we're reading these things and we wonder, well, which one am I? My experience tells me that I'm flesh. Well, you know, 
Just because you're free from sin doesn't mean that you're incapable of making a bad choice. Just because you're, you're free from the burden and the penalty and the power of sin in your life doesn't mean that you're sinless. It doesn't mean that you're, you're incapable of sinning, so don't take me out of context now. But which do you identify with? Which one do you, do you say that you are a part of? I, I'm not, I'm going to say it right now, you're going to think I'm, I'm a heretic, but I'm not a sinner. I am in Jesus. I am redeemed. I am washed, sanctified, cleansed in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible tells me. That's what it tells me. Now, before Jesus, I was a sinner and I was one of the best of them. But I'm telling you that when Christ enters into your heart, you are now his. And if we stumble, we're still his. But when we stumble, it hurts. It hurts our heart. Because we know it hurts him, it hurts us, and it hurts others. If I am still sitting trying to hide something secretly and so prideful over here and over this area, I haven't surrendered anything to Jesus. I've just been playing the game. But when you really repent from sinful ways, when you repent of that lifestyle and you accept what Jesus has done, his grace moves and transforms you you are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And you may ask, well, how do I know? Pastor, I am so confused right now. <laughs> how do I know that I'm in the Spirit? How do I know that I even have the Spirit? How do I know? I want to do what is right, but I... I identify with, the, with Romans 7 when Paul says, I'm doing the things that I want to do. I'm doing the things that I don't want to do, and I'm not doing the things that I want to do. You know that whole confusing part that Paul says? Paul understood the, the struggle, but he also understood where victory came from. And that's why in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he says there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But how do we know? We have the Spirit. Here's how I know. Because in Luke chapter 11 and verse 3, 13, sorry, Jesus says these words. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask To ask him. Believe that when you ask him to fill you with his spirit, he does it. He does it. When you've repented, when you've put all those things aside, because Jesus is the one that leads you to repentance, right? 
Jesus is the one that gives you the, the faith to even believe. To, to, I, I mean, that's, that's the beauty of everything. God does it all. But when you get to a point where you say, I don't want to live that life anymore. I want to turn I, everything, that, everything that I once was, that is my old self crucified. It's, it's gone. It's dead. I'm done with that. Jesus, you filled me with your spirit. Guess what? He does it because he said he would. He said he would do it. If you ask him, he's going to do it. I think that the reason that our inward desire doesn't match the spirit is because we feel that we're lacking something. So we go searching for it. Here's what I want to tell you today. You lack nothing because Jesus paid it all for you. You lack nothing only because of Jesus. Even in Revelation 3, when you talk about that, you know, you're blind, naked, poor, all those different things, Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. There's a solution. Jesus is the solution. So we were talking to, a, to, to people that, ha, that maybe are double-minded, that they're saying that they're Christian, but they don't really, they haven't really surrendered and allowed the Spirit to really reign and rule in their life. It may be those that have not even accepted Christ as their Savior, but Jesus is saying, hey, I'm here. I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And he's just saying, if anyone hears my voice, open the door, I will come into them. And so here he is. I think that, that oftentimes we think that, we're, that, that we don't have something, so we go looking somewhere else. I don't, have a lot, I don't have a spouse who loves me or cares for me or thinks, thinks very highly of me. They don't think I'm pretty. They don't think I'm handsome. They don't think this. They don't. I need to go find someone who thinks that I am. That's a flesh desire. And you can kill that desire by saying, Lord, I surrender it to you. Thank you, Lord, for filling me with your spirit because you have given me everything I need. And I don't find my fulfillment, my happiness, my joy, and my peace from my partner. I find it in you. And because I find it in you and you love me just the way that I am, then I can love them just the way that you love me. And you can transform this whole, this whole marriage, this whole situation. I know, Lord, because you are a God of miracles. And so I'm not going to go looking somewhere else. I'm going to stay right where I am and I'm going to let you fill me and let you live through me. Different than what society tells you, but that's the way the kingdom is. looking for acceptance, for approval. So you become a people pleaser, saying yes to everybody because you don't want to be rejected. And you know what never rejects you? Something on, the, something on the screen, something in a magazine. You can go there anytime. They'll always be there for you. But you know what? That's a lie too because it's going to leave you empty, feeling in shame, and guilt. But you know what? You are accepted by Jesus. He loves you. He's done everything to, to, to set you free. And so you don't have to go anywhere else. So when the temptation comes, you can come to go to Jesus and say, Lord, I know that I don't have to go to these other things to, to find approval or escape or whatever the case is because you, Lord, are my rest. You are my escape. You are my, you approve of me. You love me just the way that I am. And because your spirit lives in me, I'm going to put my confidence in you 
and not go looking someplace else to try to get away. It's not what culture tells you. Culture tells you it's normal. It's fine. But God's word brings me to a place where I can stand on his truth and his rock. You see how different this is. You don't lack the things that you think that you lack. That's the enemy talking to you, by the way. That's the enemy telling you that you need more, that you need someone else, that you need, some, you need this and you need that. That's the enemy. He did that to Adam and Eve, by the way. You guys need this. And they bought it. But you stand on the truth, and I want to tell you, Christ has given you everything that you need. Christ has given you love. He's given you joy. He's given you peace. He's given you forgiveness. He's given you a new life in the name of Jesus. That is your life. Free. Free. In the Spirit. Stand on the truth. Because it is His grace and his mercy and his power that transforms us. I, I want us to sing a song as we close. And as we sing this song, I want to invite you, first to stand as we sing together, but second, if you were like me, Where you grew up, going to church, you accepted Jesus as a, at a young age. You got baptized at 10, 11, 12, because that's what we were supposed to do. And you've been struggling because that's what we were taught we were supposed to do, is to struggle, to fight our way through it. There's going to be temptations that you have got to control and, and overcome. And when that one is done, there'll be another one waiting for you. <laughs> and when you get victory over that one, there'll be another one waiting for you. Before Jesus, I was free from righteousness and I can do whatever I want. And I didn't have to think anything about it. But when I came under Jesus, my whole life changed. But here's the thing. What kind of freedom is it? If when I accept Jesus, I then got to struggle my way and fight and fight and fight, trying to get to the place that I'm good enough for God to say, okay, come to me, my good and faithful servant. What? The, that's not freedom. You know what freedom is? Freedom is Jesus saying, while you were still a sinner, I came and I lived. And I was crucified on a cross so that you may have freedom. Jesus says, yeah, you were, but now you're not. And you can live in the victory in Jesus Christ. You can live in the freedom of Jesus Christ. All you have to do is accept it, receive it. 
We talk a lot about receiving salvation as a gift. Why don't we accept it and receive freedom? Why don't we receive victory? Why don't we receive it? Why can't we just take it and just know that God, you are with me. You are, you are walking with me. Everything, everything that I do, you are with me. Everything that I need, you have provided. Everything, Jesus said, it's yours. It's yours. I give it to you. Will you receive it? Forever, my entire life, I have lived that way. Falling short, struggling, fighting through it, and all the time thinking that God's mad at me, that he won't bless me, that I'm just another one of the screw-ups. And I thought I'd had victory, and then I didn't. I thought I'd overcome it, and then I didn't. And there's nothing more discouraging and frustrating than trying to fight your way through something in your own strength and knowing that you'd, you will always come up short. But when I discovered the good, good news of the gospel and what Jesus has done, I get to pick up where he left off. I get to live out of his glory, out of his righteousness, because that's what he gives us. If you were like me, and you're saying, I'm ready to live in his freedom, in his righteousness, and stop trying to overcome these things on my own, that's, that's hopeless. But to stand in the spirit, to stand in victory, because temptation is not going to stop. But how are you going to combat it? Blinders? Or by the word of God? How did Jesus combat temptation? By the word of God. By what was true. And what we've just read today is truth. It's truth. If you're ready to stand on that truth, I want to invite you to come forward. And let's pray in the name of Jesus for freedom in our life to be renewed and refreshed and to live a life of his spirit, not the flesh.